Welcome to the Audio Workstations Founders Podcast, Episode 1. Hello, welcome. I'm JJ. Hosted by JJ. And Matt. And me. And Matt. What's going on, everybody? Going to talk to you about a couple of things about the studio life and where our industry's at right now and some of the options you have as an engineer. Where's it at? Oh, it's here. And it it's, is here. It's here. We're, we're in New York right now on Long Island. Um, we're going through a roadcaster right now for the tech curious. Uh, we're talking into SM7Bs at the moment. Some SM7Bs, two different filters, same mic. And drinking a combination of coffee and tea. Yep. This is a latte to be specific. It's a latte information yep. for our listeners. Yep. Anyway, so we got some things to talk about. This is our first podcast, so we're going to get some stuff out of the way. What are we going to get out of the way first? I think we're going to talk about the current models of studios so studios that are out there that currently exist that are different from what we do here right correct all right well i'd i'd say there's probably about uh three or four of of those archetypes probably that we could discuss all right give them to us let's talk about i gotta do all four how about you know you think of one or two and i'll think i'll go first you go first yeah all right uh well one of the models that comes to mind business-wise is a situation where you have a studio owner person or personality and uh, they may or may not be a musician they may or may not be an audio engineer they may Mm -hmm. or may not be a music producer they could just be a, a person who is like hey have money want studio yeah and i would say that's probably a pretty classic version of studio models because it used to be back in the day you needed more money to open a studio and a lot of times the person with that money wasn't someone that was actually an engineer or a producer and they would also hire out the staff enough right they didn't have time to turn knobs because they were you know maybe making money yeah they were business doing other more business-like things than making music and so they were like hey let's start a recording business you know, and become in the music industry somehow. And they thought that was a good idea because if you had a certain amount of uh, equipment that was quite expensive and a facility that was elaborate, then, you know, you could bring in, uh, you know, big budgets from big name acts, from big record labels. And they really didn't have anywhere else uh, to go record, uh, other than a place like that. And a classic example of that is if you actually watched a Sound City documentary, right? That was how Sound City was pretty much founded, you know, guys that... Yeah, you know, I was. I think somewhere in the back of my head that documentary was playing as I was attempting to answer the question. Yeah, yeah, yep, absolutely. But that's how they got started. A couple of guys that just had some money to start up a company and was very lucrative at that time if you could pull in the big major labels. Very lucrative business. Right, and those guys would hire staff that presumably, you know, knew a thing or two about recording music. Um, And the staff might include a house, uh, you know, list of house engineers, maybe a head engineer, assistant engineers, interns, a whole little engineering hierarchy. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, maybe sometimes an an in-house music producer, but the the inflow of music-related work was pretty much assured. Yeah. It wasn't so much a concern um, because... You know, there wasn't much competition for a studio like that at a certain point in time. Obviously, yeah. things have changed, and we're going to, I guess, get to that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, the next one 
on the list. I guess in also in that documentary kind of illustrates is that at a certain point in time, one of the, I'm not going to say names because I'm just not smart enough to remember them, but mm. one of the head engineers that was at Sound City, I believe ended up starting his own studio that You're was like correct because they didn't want to transition to the digital age at the moment is that what it was about it was i think that was part of it yeah um yeah, yeah i'm sure they were you know everyone wants to go into business for themselves yep. yeah absolutely that's, that's or some people especially do. with trade businesses right if you're an electrician that's what you do you go work with an electrician when you're a kid and you learn everything and then you go start your own electrician business so yeah i'm sure there was a thought process like that at, at play and yep. you know pretty much um Every uh, engineer wants to have all of their own equipment. Yeah. Um, We're definitely obsessed with that end. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, you know, we got the the gas, as we say, the gear acquisition syndrome. Yeah. Yep. And so eventually, if you're successful at, at, at uh, feeding your gas, mm -hmm. your gear acquisition syndrome, you will have so much equipment, you're going to be like, where am I going to put all this? Yeah, but definitely. not everyone is at that point. But I think this guy was there, and he opened up a, a personal sort of every project is going to be engineered by me, or yeah. you know maybe yep. that kind of like private uh, production team or a specific person that you want to work with. I would consider that like a separate type of studio. Uh, because you're going there to work with a, a specific person. Absolutely. And that's that form of commercial studio has definitely become more of the standard now, right? Um, and I, I like to say, we'll talk about this later, options for engineers, but like it's tougher for, to get a job in a studio now because of most of this commercial studios, the head engineer, which is the top position you want to get to, is also the owner. Oh, right? yeah. You're going to see that a lot I more I think now. it's safe to say that that particular model that we just discussed, it creates sort of a ceiling on rising within a company Correct. because you can never become top engineer because the top engineer is the owner it makes sense and yeah. it's honestly probably a good thing that more of the owners of recording studios are of course the top end engineer of that studio well i think it's a good thing that in any scenario that the owner of the studio at least know enough about engineering to know when someone is in fact qualified to engineer there, yeah, you know, because yeah. you'd have to, if you're interviewing someone then say, like, come work at my studio, you have to know what questions to ask to figure out if this person actually can run a session or if they're just yeah. saying they can yeah, run yeah, a session because right? they think it would be cool. Yeah, there's cool. plenty of people that have gotten a job out there by being able to fool someone that they know what they're doing. And Right. So just for that sake yep. alone, I, it's there, there's a, definitely an inherent benefit on that end. But, you know, again, uh, you know, you're going to have like, um, like if the studio is named after a specific person yeah, and you're trying to like work for that studio, it's probably a little harder to make a name for yourself yeah, simply absolutely. because you're under the shadow of the the name that is yep. the person whose absolutely. office that is. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's at least two. I I did two. Yeah. Can you? Is there is there a third or a fourth that well, you might be able to think of? We all know number three, right? Which is the home studio. Uh huh. Right. Um, when the dawn of home studios, it makes sense. The technology has become so affordable and the barrier to entry as far as capital you need to buy the equipment to do the recording. It becomes a level of snobbiness of how much money, and I'm a gear snob, so I'm not saying it's a bad thing, right? But um, you can get a pretty decent sound anywhere with some 
not too expensive equipment these days. I think some of that is uh, dependent on the exact type of recording that you're trying to make. But if yeah, it's definitely for certain uh, niches and I genres. Mean, hey, look, if you're a a singer just doing covers right now, that's and a good you example. Wanna, yeah. Just try your hand at recording some covers. You can start doing that without having to go to a commercial studio and front yes. a pretty sizable bill. Perhaps, yeah. And, and, and you could get either lucky or unlucky with the conditions of your house and how much you're willing well, to... So we'll, we'll talk about the, I guess, the cons of all of these potential studios. Some cons with it. Yeah, you throw out a couple pros, a couple cons. Yep, yep. You know, who can think of everything so at once? the... Home studios, right? Everybody should, everybody involved in audio should obviously have some form of home equipment because you're going to want to always be able to work, right? Yeah, I, I personally, um, you know, keep uh, like a, an editing, uh, musical take choosing, um, you know, type of capability as like a minimum because for those types of things, you don't necessarily need the greatest sound quality in the yeah. world, uh, you know, if to like hear a rhythm of a of a musical instrument that may be off and needs adjusting. Okay, I can hear that that's offbeat even if I'm not listening on a great setup, yeah. or I can maybe hear that a performance is better regardless of yeah. how high quality the playback is at that moment. Um, but you know, when you're trying to capture audio that's album quality, when you're trying to make um, mixing decisions that are, yeah. you know, accurate for the sake of the quality of your. Yeah. And look, um, we're talking about like probably the lower ends of home studios, but we we've seen them, we know them. Right, home studios can be just as legitimate as it being a commercial environment. It's all depending on how you build. Um, so you can have an amazing mixing room and an amazing tracking room, but it's in tracking that you start getting yourself in ugly territory because you can edit mix and mass at home if you have the proper setup but yeah if no you problem. if you have a you know something like i experienced once upon a time which is a combination of you know lawn mowers and like a that's true water boiler that's in true. the basement Absolutely. kind of like working as your stereo yep. left and right but hey let's say you Completely, you take a, uh, an open basement, an unfinished basement, and you build it just as any traditional studio would be built. You can get to that level, but again, we run into an issue of the business side, which is the well, a couple issues there. Yeah, I mean, I, and I've worked in great studios like that, um, or maybe they're just very good because maybe what keeps it from being great is a couple of things, and and one is from um, a zoning of where you live perspective people tend to not think about that when we're home studios if well, you're operating a home studio there's, there's a chance you may not be actually allowed to be doing that and sometimes they find out that after the fact and there's a whole thing going on in nashville yep. that i've yeah, recently that. become yep. hip to um talking with uh, uh an awesome podcast liz shaw and the recording rock stars yep. Um, I had a nice Skype session with Liz and we kind of discussed different issues regarding like all types of studios and, yeah. um, you know, the zoning for them down there is a problem. I'm about to head down there again soon and I'll keep my ear to the street about what, um, evolves between the, the city zoning and the, the home studios, particularly in East Nashville. But, yeah. 
Um, anyway, you know, they don't always like that, uh, yeah. the town that you're in. And sometimes your neighbors don't like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you have a family and you haven't completely soundproofed it, and, you know, soundproofing is kind of like this yeah. thing that you can't perfectly achieve without starving your friends and family of oxygen. Yep. So, yep. you know, like air. As I've been told or heard once, right, there's technically no such thing as soundproofing. It's just yeah. how much sound reduction do you need for the, your studio? Yeah, the sound reduction is a is a more realistic term and yeah. it's just like how much of it are you doing because there's no real proofing if you want to be breathing correct like, <laughs> exactly you know air and sound yep. have this really tight relationship yep. Yep. <laughs> and if, if where there yeah. where there is air there will be some sort of sound transfer absolutely <laughs> so we all like breathing while we're working and so it's hard to make the 100 soundproof studio but you know, the advantage of perhaps being in a commercial space over being at home is that, you, you know, people aren't expecting to try and get a good night's sleep in the room next to you or two rooms next to you or above you or below you, as might be the case in a, any studio that's situated in a home. So yeah, I think that that's a fair analysis of yeah, home studio. Absolutely. You know, I mean, they're great. As I, we said, right, everybody should at least have, if you're an engineer, it makes no sense to at least not be able to edit at home. Right. It's, it's nice to be able to get your home as capable as you can, yeah. but if you start expecting it to completely replace the functionality of Correct. commercial location and, you know, things that happen in a, in a business environment, that's where it will fall short. And also, yeah you can get really bored and really lonely. Yep. And it's hard to get work done too. I will say I have a setup in my home and yeah. it's very hard to get me to sit down at that setup because I'm home and there's a lot of other things I want to do. Besides. You know, I've sat at that setup and yeah. I've, you know, played with your dog instead of working on audio. Yeah. Well, when you have a dog, they're definitely, uh, they're, they're not as studio friendly as cats. They're, it's cats right. are always very studio friendly. Yes. Cats are perfect and dogs are rough. Yep, exactly. You know, I'm yeah. sorry, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> it's just my personality. Dogs just love people when cats will just like lay on a warm piece of gear. Yeah. Um, so, and then there's falling asleep on the couch. So, yep. you know, that's, so it's great. And it's also not the greatest thing sometimes. And that's, you know, that's just the nature of home studios. Yeah. And, and that's, that's a good solid three types of, of home uh, work and other type of work, yeah. you know, personal work studios that we discussed. Yep. And then the other thing that comes to my mind is, um, you know, a studio that is uh, inside of a, a large corporate owned facility okay. where only the work that is, you know, a part of what's going on in that specific company is mm. going to have access to those studios, you know, okay. like all your big broadcasts yep. and, yeah. um, you know, movie studios Correct. and and that sort of and, thing. And, you know, even... Um, even other corporations wouldn't think Red Bull has their studio, right? Gorgeous studio. You know, and I think anyone who decides that they want to be in charge of their own media and advertising tends to try and invest somehow in, yeah. in the producing of that. And that leads to acquiring rooms to do that in and putting equipment in those rooms. Yeah. So that's the, there you have a studio. Yep. So, uh, yeah, I think that's a, a good summary of, of what you consider the, the four standard current types of studios that are out there. Yeah. And then you have, Hey, us, you know, we do have us. <laughs> I think we should throw us in there. We'd be remiss if we didn't. Yep. Yep. Cause we're trying here to make a, a different type of studio. So why don't you tell us 
what exactly are we doing here? All right, That's so Stephen. We're sitting in audio workstations. Studio C of our New York location, the South Podcast and Streaming Room. Right. Newly built. Yep. And, yep. you know, Having being fun in it. demonstrated uh, slash used right now for us. Yep. Um, but, yeah, so we have uh, two music studios and a podcast studio, and, and we're a shared uh, membership-based office space for audio professionals um, and music professionals who are, you know, apt yeah. at, at running equipment. And so we've got freelance audio engineers and music producers and podcasters that, you know, reserve time in our studios. They um, get access to the building and calendar access through our app. And they come in and they work and they get their jobs uh, done when they need to. They work with clientele. They can be in charge of their own session rates and hourly rates. So we have members charging various things. We we don't keep track of all that because everyone's got their own yeah. freelance business yeah. evolving at all and times. That's going to be our next topic. Oh, the yep. freelance? Yep. Like... Uh, Hey, I'm a freelancer. What next? Correct. And, you know, you you spent some money to go to audio school and now you graduated. And what are you going to do now? All right. Which options? When we come back, the life of the audio and music freelancer. There you go. And we're back. The drink has changed. I think mine's empty. I got I got screwed on this. Okay. But not much, much else has changed. So our next topic for today He's talking about engineers themselves. We talked about studios. Let's talk about engineers. Um, specifically, I want to kind of talk about the the new engineer, right? The person that possibly just graduated in audio school. His name is Lance, and he is free to do what yep. he likes. Well, I think that's the main thing I want to point out is... Or she. Or she, yes, absolutely. Um, it's we uh, more women in engineering. Wham and and um, uh, sound girls, yep. um, all that. Absolutely. So the main problem with a person when they graduate audio school, or maybe they just self train themselves, or whatever, uh, is where do you go from there, right? So you want to get a job in a studio. Well, your biggest problem with that is there's a line out the door of fresh engineers that are trying to get a job in a studio, or intern, or a. Pre- Just before you're able to freelance, I just want to touch on real quick the way people are arriving at that position. And we, we used to have kind of a, a more uh, established system of uh, intern and apprenticeship. Yeah. And uh, that still does go on. But I think the basic problem with that now is that there aren't enough studios really offering that to accommodate all the people who want to do it. And as we said before, there's less positions now because most of the commercial studios are owned by an engineer. They're not completely just hiring staff. Um, Or they could be one of those uh, vertically integrated big corporate-owned studios. And look, there's a lot of different avenues of audio. But the thing is that I would say probably well over 90% of us that go to get an audio education or learn audio is doing it for music production. You're not necessarily getting into audio to work on forensic or video games or movies. Maybe you are, but what I've seen is it's always the music bug, right? So this means that... It's the most fun thing. Exactly. And all of us are competing for the same positions. 
of which there are studios, which they are fewer of. Yeah. And then so logically, a lot of times it's easier to start your own company doing this, but you cannot go out there as a brand new engineer and open up your own studio. I would not recommend that to anybody. Uh, We've talked about this, the field of dreams scenario, right? Yeah. I mean, if you have a lot of spare money, you you could try. It's just not necessarily something that's going to necessarily turn into a profit quickly, unless you already have a rich history of you know recording classic music. Correct. And a landlord and the electric company shows no sympathy that you're trying to build up your client base. Right. You know. <laughs> um, so it kind of puts you in a rock and a hard place as a new engineer. So the most logical place to typically go is in a freelance sense so what does that actually mean freelance uh well one thing it means is that you're working for yourself primarily you i always say you are a business owner don't like fool yourself you are a business owner you just the difference is you're not really locked down it's the business of you and anything that you can pull off in a 24-hour period yep Yep. Um, and so, yeah, you, that's uh, the good part is that there's, there's no boss above you. Yep. The bad part is there's nobody giving you work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's no one giving you a consistent paycheck. Yep. Yeah. Um, but it's normally the most logical place to go as a new engineer because it's the easiest thing you can stop right away, right? Like, oh, no one's hiring me because I don't have experience and I can't go open up my own studio because I don't have this giant client base that's going to pay the bills. Right. Then the question becomes, where are you going to do that? Correct. And obviously, most people are going to build a home studio. But as we discussed before, you run into a big problem with trying to take on strangers as clients and going out there and advertising and not... Yeah. And I don't even know if we touched on that earlier, the basic problem of you know, basically giving anyone who can Google you your home address because yeah, that's a, where your studio is. I mean, I, I've seen it a couple of times. I never... I would never recommend it. It's never seemed to be a good. Yeah, it just doesn't seem like a, a professional or a safe thing to do necessarily. Yep. And again, we, we were talking about zoning laws, right? Yeah. It may be the case that you're not allowed to do that, right. even if you don't mind advertising to strangers. Yeah, well, you know, this sounds like a, uh, a lot of reasons to, uh, to build a special studio just for the freelance personality. Well, so I want to touch on that because most commercial studios, or I shouldn't say most, a lot of commercial studios will rent their rooms out to engineers, and you see that a lot. The issue with that is you're going to be limited to the studio's pricing, right? You can't come into a studio that charges $50 an hour and say, I'm going to rent the room and charge 75 I can't imagine a studio would want you doing that. Or go that. the other way. Some, sometimes Correct. you want to charge your client less because they have a limited budget and you want to work with them, but the studio has a minimum that it needs and a, and a minimum that it will allow you to quote anyone who's working yep. there because they don't want to, if they're used to charging x yep. they don't want to charge anything under x yep. uh so as not to you know tarnish their hourly correct because it causes confusion right like oh well i've recorded at that studio for 40 an hour and it's like well they told me 50 an hour and so. every business has different overhead so they ha- may have a minimum that they need that yep. they you know can't afford you going under you know it's all going to depend on the location but the power to actually adjust your rate per client per year yeah. Uh, that's not really a thing that you can typically do as a freelancer, finding existing studios that uh, are out there. You yeah. typically don't have that power. And so you can present a scenario to a client. It's like, well, we can go here and they're going to charge 
us X for the room and I need Y for my hourly rate. And so therefore we arrive at, you know, Z or whatever, yeah, yeah. Uh, whenever alphanumeric character yeah, yeah. comes next. Yeah. And, you know, that is dictated to you by the different studios you call. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, that's one of the things that we try to uh, handle here at Audio Workstations differently is that we want people to be in charge of their own businesses. And so, you know, the the act of reserving a studio as a member gets you X amount of studio time per month or per yeah. multiple months, three months, six months, a year. And, you know, when you're committing to a membership like that, you're uh, committing to pay for studio time, uh, you know, on a monthly basis. Yeah. Um, the fact that we can count on that monthly membership means that as a business, us audio workstations can afford to charge a little bit less per hour Correct. to our members yep. than a typical studio would. And that basically, you know, leaves room for a margin for the individual freelancer yeah. that becomes flexible. Yeah. And we, you know, as freelancers trying to build a studio for other freelancers, I know we talked about this a lot when we were, you know, just hatching the idea is that that would be a, a really good sticking point to attract freelancers in the first place. Yeah. And then we just looked and said, what do we want out of a studio? Yeah. If we could make one out of thin air and they don't come out of thin air, but we, if we could imagine one and how it might work, we would want each individual engineer to be still running their own business. Yep but just able to use our facility. And and nowadays, you see more than ever, clients aren't really necessarily loyal to a studio. They're loyal to an engineer. And they don't necessarily care about where that engineer is working as long as they're with that engineer and they have the sound. It kind of follows the live sound philosophy of like a lot of touring bands obviously all have their own engineer because they want to, doesn't matter what venue they're going to, they want to have the same person behind the equipment. Yeah, well, you have a consistency, you have a working relationship. Um, you want the engineer to feel confident in the studio, but beyond that, um, you know, let the engineer worry about the equipment per se yep. and what, what specifically is uh, available in a room. Um, and yeah, I think that that uh, old saying, you know, or cliche uh, about it's not the gear, it's the ears has yep, a, a certain point in that, you know, you create a great room, a great studio, and you put an inexperienced person there or a not knowledgeable person or someone who just doesn't have good sonic instincts uh you know you're not going to get the same results yeah. as putting someone who is just better yeah. and so that trickles down to all studio scenarios yeah. um and so i think that's understood to a certain degree by musicians who have been recording in studios plural yeah. for a while it becomes apparent like hey it it you know if i bring this person to this studio it's like a insurance policy against yep. uh, not walking away with a bad or uh you know incomplete uh, or unusable recording yeah um and so you know the people i think uh the the direct relationship between you know engineer slash producer um and artist is sort of the one that is more crucial than the direct relationship between the artist and the studio. Yeah. Um, and so, hey, now we have a place where. Yeah, this I mean, can that all goes to our core philosophies here, right? A private place where an engineer can come in and operate their own business that's not, they don't have to brand themselves under our business necessarily, right? But you have 
a place where you can come and reliably work for a wholesale price, right? And the more you're using the studio, the better your margins are going to be. And we stay out of far, as far as your resale of that. And we stay out of the room, right? Allow your privacy and you come and go as your sessions are booked. Yeah. And hey, if, if, if you are managing your own freelance business well, then it makes sense that you would advance in the career to the point where you can be one of those people with a completely private studio one yep, day. Absolutely. Um, but, until but it, you know, instead time. of having to go and sign a big lease with a landlord, you can sign up for a membership where... Yeah, dip your toe in the water of commercial yeah, facility exactly. with us a bit before. And that's, you know, as far as business goes in general, that's an amazing thing I see nowadays is a business... If you want to start a business, it doesn't have to be all in. You don't have to say, all right, I'm going to sacrifice everything. You can, as you said, dip your toe in. And that's an opportunity here for engineers to be able to dip their toe into business. You have a commercial space to work out of, and it's not going to be a huge commitment in your life. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, this place that we're sitting in, we, we designed specifically for the uh, the pain points, which is a phrase that I learned mm. from my new friend Liz over at Recording Rockstars, the, the areas in which you're feeling the pain. Mm-hmm. Um, the, you know, these are the areas specifically around which, as freelancers of of music recording, we design this place. So, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, and. Uh- the last point here is the gear. You know, I think we did a good job of finding the gear because obviously as an engineer, you should be a gear snob and you want to be a realistic gear snob. So we want to tweak, turn all those right knobs for engineers, pun intended. Right. You know, that when you walk in the studio, you're going to know that you have the equipment here that's not going to limit you as an engineer. Right. And that's, you know, not to counter uh, act the point we made earlier, in you know, it's not the gear, it's the ears. That's true in the way that we described it. You know, you can put someone who doesn't know anything in front of good gear, nothing good will come of that. But at the same time, we, we think that there is sort of a, you know, minimum viable quality yep. that we try to, you know, specifically design studios f- for and above yep. so that we feel like when we come in here to get things done, we're ready to put that out into the world and we're not still wishing that it was, you know, at some better facility. Yeah. Yeah. You would never want to put a, we, we would never want to put an engineer in a position here where they say I could make this sound better only if I had better equipment. Right. Or, or at least to the point where if you're saying that you're just being greedy. Correct. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because if you're going to pay a wholesale price, you can't necessarily expect a Neve board um, and a wall of analog outboard gear. That's just kind of. Right. And instead of a wall, it's a 500 series rack with very well chosen 500 series gear. And we thought a lot about the gear. The gear, I think, took a year just to think about what equipment would go in it because there's so much equipment, so many different name brands. A lot of catalog browsing on my part. A lot of opinions out there. A lot of research and trying to find the worst thing that someone has ever said about a piece of equipment on the internet and make sure that even the worst thing is not that bad. Yep. And as we were doing that, new stuff came out, technology changed, and so did the list. Yep, and uh, you know, upgrading the studios is something that we take seriously. We're yep. just go undergoing our first major round of upgrades, and you know, as as the gear changes, so does our our eye and our ear for it. Yep. 
And so we hope to be able to keep that up as, as the years go by to stay current. And, uh, you know, I take that part of my job seriously, keeping my ear to the, the I would say the street, but it's really the internet. This sweet water, keeping your ear on the, the sweet water. Keeping my ear to the sweet, is that what yeah. you're? Yeah. 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 <laughs> I like that one. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, in conclusion, uh, you know, as a freelancer, you have some existing options besides what we offer here at audio workstations, but we've, we've crafted this place to really bend around the, the needs and the, the yeah. existing pain points of the audio freelance community and, and music producer studio rat yeah. community. And, and one thing I want to say, going back to my original point is, is if you're just starting out, you know, we got a lot of emails here, people looking for internships. And unfortunately we can't offer that for anybody because everybody's running their own private business. So we can't really fit in an intern. But, you know, my mentality to those people that just graduated school and is trying to start an internship, you may find that just starting your own freelance company is going to get you really kind of hitting the ground running. Yeah, I mean, I'd personally rather go, I mean, I haven't been in school for a while and we've both been in education and so we've been around schools, but it, coming straight out of school um, and then getting knowledge and some uh, maybe applic applicable hands-on training as well. Um, you don't want to really turn that straight into coffee getting. Yeah. It's just, I mean, I, I understand that there's a certain uh, part of the internship apprenticeship culture that calls for, well, if Absolutely. you can't get the coffee right, we certainly can't trust you with an equalizer. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, we've talked about this before, you know, internships kind of became standard in our business just because it was a while it wasn't that long ago that you didn't have well there were no education options audio education yeah. so the only way you were going to learn this right. is to learn from a studio owner. and you got the the you got pros and cons to learning uh, from a particular studio and particular people is that sometimes mm -hmm. you get caught in thinking that the specific way they're doing it there is the only way to do it which is not always the case and then the you know you got pros and cons to general education one is that audio education uh, is not standardized across yes. the country yep. or the world or anything so everyone's teaching these slightly different things correct if you go to school to be a lawyer they have to teach you some pretty standardized fundamental yeah. things um and so th that's that's one issue on on either side of it is yeah. that there's there's I don't think we've gotten it perfect how to teach engineers and get them out into the world in a, in a flawless way yet. But I think that um, uh, what we're doing here is a good step towards the, you know, what exists out there in the market of what you can do for work. Yeah. And for those who are self-motivated, um, you know, it's, it's an incredible opportunity, I think, to have uh, your own studio without having to invest in your own yeah. studio. And, and we're seeing this all over the place, right? There's some pretty big companies now, but it's always been a thing of being able to have these co-working spaces where people that like maybe just saw it as an accountant can't afford to have their own facility, but still need a conference table right. to take clients. The difference is we need a lot more than a conference table. Yeah. Now. I remember having that thought and yeah. thinking, man, it's if it were only just a calculator that I could put in a room and call it a recording studio, yeah. that would be easy. But <laughs> there was a lot of research a bit more than that. <laughs> and yep. purchasing that had yep. to go beyond that. But anyway, uh, that's, uh, I think, a, a fair way to describe why we did what we did here and what were our motivating factors, just trying to level the playing field, so to speak, for yeah. the for the freelancer yeah. that is anywhere in between, hey, I just came out of school, 
still building my portfolio. Okay, well, you can charge people less and build up your portfolio here yeah. at Audio Workstations. Or, hey, I'm further along, but I'm bouncing back and forth between city and city, yeah. and I don't really you know, feel comfortable buying a, a lease or, or, or signing a lease in, mm -hmm. in this one location when, hey, I'm going to be moving a lot. So, yeah. you know, there's there's all kinds of levels of freelancer that I think what we offer applies to. Basically, mm -hmm. anyone short of, hey, look at my Grammys. This is my personal studio. Yeah. Um, or this is my corporate job with giant company that does lots of media. Anyone else, I think it's the perfect opportunity to be transitioning to one of those other things. Yeah. So, all right, we'll take a break. Part three. Yeah, we're going to wrap this thing up. Um, so wanted to reaffirm, right? A lot of different reasons why we started audio workstations. Yep. All the freelancers, uh, pain points and creating a, a place to go. But, um, I guess we haven't uh, explicitly said a few things like, uh, here in New York, we have, three studios currently we yep. have um music studio a which is uh set up for as many as 16 simultaneous inputs if needed um uh you know six by eight whisper room in there and um we've got studio b which is set up for um two uh audio ends but it's got some uh, virtual drums in there and uh midi keyboard and a uh, four by six whisper room booth both studios are running uh, currently a mic modeling system, so you get tasty choices uh, in your post-production as to what kind of mic you'd like to emulate. We were all about options. Yeah, uh, when it came to the multi-functionality of the studio, the the um, uprising in mic modeling technology was very appealing to us. Absolutely. And we're looking to expand that um, as time goes on, but as our first go-to condenser, uh, uh, a modeling condenser and modeling software seem to be the best way to you know, do a one-size-fits-all for everyone. Yeah, and it's it's the most current microphone technology really out there. You know, condenser microphone technology has been the same for quite some time, and it's the newest trend of instead of trying to buy your one particular favorite mic. Yeah, you get them all in, yeah. in one, a reference plus uh, plus plugins. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's, it's important to remember, too, that uh, should you have your own... Uh, favorite condenser that you uh, or moving coil mic uh ribbon mic for all that you can bring in your own mic absolutely, absolutely. you don't have to bring in speakers though you don't have to bring in a computer you don't have right. to bring in a lot of things but yeah bring in a microphone you could bring in a, your absolutely. own lunchbox of 500 series gear if you be, want to would be cool expand our options yep. and patch right into the patch bay and then as far as how our memberships actually work here uh basically you're going to commit to a designated amount of hours a month and you can either reserve that time so you have specific days and time slots that are always guaranteed to you, or you can work around based on what, what's opened in the schedule. But you're basically going to guarantee a set amount of hours per month. Right. We call those uh, floating. So we got reserves memberships where you have a reserved uh, time slots that are uh, you know blocked out for you specifically in advance. And then you have what we call our, our floating time-based membership where um, maybe you're not sure the exact time you want to be in the studio regularly, but you want to be able to book anything that's open. In that case, we can't guarantee availability, but it provides more flexibility. Absolutely. So you got yeah. the, the reserved style membership, 
um, which is more uh, guaranteed time. And the floating style membership, which is more flexible for scheduling, but mm-hmm. not guaranteed time. And then you've got, um, you know, basically uh, a few different levels of um, time commitments that mm-hmm. we're going to ask for for your membership. So we've got our uh, three month, and then you want to translate the, that into weeks if you want to. Yeah, technically 12 weeks. So you got 12 weeks, 12 weeks, 24 weeks. And 48 weeks, yep. which is the, the week equivalent of three months, six months, and a year. Yep. Being Some months have those uh, weird five weeks in it. Pesky extra yep. days. Yep. And, you know, you got February yep. not having as many days as other months. And then you got the leap year. So, yeah, so weeks are just cleaner. Exactly. Um, and uh, And then you've got how many hours would you like to be reserving per month? So... Um, you know, we can accommodate uh, as far as a range of different types of memberships. We can do as little as one four-hour block per month for mm-hmm. those who are just starting to work. That's our part-time membership. Right, we call that part-time. And then we've got um, a two sessions per month, which is usually formatted as an every other week, but it could also be um, one double session per month yep in other words you could do two four hours every other week or you could do one big eight hour one time a month if you got one big work day per month to get stuff done and we call that associates yep right um so that's the associates membership at uh uh, eight hours a month Uh, two sessions of four or one session of eight and then we've got anything really that involves 16 hours and of time up. Yep. up and up is our full membership. And, uh, it, you know, the most normal way that our members work that is one session per week out yep. on a, and if it's a reserve membership, that will be the same day typically every week. Yep. So for example, right now it's Friday in the evening. So you might have a Friday 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. Yeah, we got a couple of those happening right now. Yeah, you can yep. have a Friday 6 to 10 reserve um, and you know, uh, the, the, the full memberships, uh, they can get customized. Yep. But basically the idea here is the more time you are guaranteeing us in a month, the cheaper your hourly rate is going to be. And your monthly membership is based upon your hourly rate times the amount of hours you guaranteed. And there you go. There's your monthly membership. Math. And it's worth noting that, um, whatever membership level you do with us or the amount of hours you commit to us, you can book more top or that you can do additional floating sessions and pay for that separately, but you're going to pay the hourly rate you've guaranteed us. So if you do a part-time session and book a lot of floating sessions, it's probably going to be better off to increase that guarantee. So you get a better hourly rate and improve your resale margins on that time. Right. So what you're saying is if you find yourself doing a part-time membership with us, but then you end up booking additional time on the regular well then it makes sense to actually upgrade your membership and save on the hourly rate because yep. the bigger memberships and the longer memberships are going to have a more favorable breakdown of the per hour rate than your less time per month yep. memberships and that's what we're here to do in uh, kind of the wholesale business you know we're looking to give you guys as good of a deal as possible so that you guys audio workstations memberships are always supposed to be a money maker and it shouldn't really be looked at as a it's a it's an expense but it should be an expense that's going to make you some money right it's a we we designed it to be for the freelancer which is our primary market um, to be just a, a low-cost alternative uh, 
to opening up your own studio and a more uh, in charge of your own destiny alternative to seeking employment from some other boss person. Absolutely. So I think we did a pretty good job thing. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think we hit all the topics that we wanted to talk about, right? And we, think, uh, we filled our cups a couple times. Yep, a couple of refills, a couple of changes in cuffs. Mr. Matt here will be heading back to Tennessee in a couple of days. What are you doing over there Oh, in that's Tennessee? right. Yeah, we should mention that um, our New York location is uh, very dear to our hearts. It's our first in our pilot program where we're testing our concept and basically proving that people... And we've been here for about three years now right. of so, the state. We uh, have basically established that uh, people who are in this game of audio freelance and music production uh, like and appreciate what we're offering here. And so I am um, just doing some, you know, research as to the Nashville market and, and hoping to open our doors in Nashville sometime here in 2020. And we would love to do that. Nashville's an amazing city, and I think we uh be greatly appreciated down there, so we definitely are looking to make that happen. Yeah, Music City, uh, I think, deserves one more music recording option, yeah. and we're yeah. happy to provide that if we can find the right spot to do it in. So, Well, you guys can always check out audioworkstationsinc.com for more information on our memberships, our studios, our locations, all the equipment we got. And the phone number if anyone wants to call or text. Um, I should get those texts. And with any questions about membership, um, feel free, 516-448-2066. And uh, I can respond to texts or, uh, or voicemails that are left there. Yep. Tech's always a good introduction. Well, because we're engineers, we might, you know, be in the middle of a session yeah. and we can't always pick up the phone. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Matt, for coming up from Tennessee to uh, record this podcast. Thank you for hosting this yeah. podcast. And uh, we'll be back next quarter with our next one. We'll be back next time with the Audio Workstations Founders Podcast. Thanks a lot, guys.